0: Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you. We are coming to the end of a series called What's Next? Looking at our priorities as a church as we emerge from lockdown. Although the exact plan is still a bit sketchy, we do have some things that are important for us in this season, values and priorities, which will influence what we're able to do and when we're able to do it. So I've already talked this in this series about putting young people first, about the importance of investing in future generations, helping them to gather, and how we can join teams to help facilitate those groups. Um, Paul looked at continuing to reach out beyond ourselves, how we invest in our neighbourhoods and our colleagues and our communities and our families. And how just because lockdown is easing, people are still looking for hope and meaning perhaps even more so now. We want to share the hope and life of Jesus post-COVID. And we looked at also last week, Joe looked at how we make sure that we invest in our relationships, both with Jesus and with one another. And the importance of making space to reflect and talk and pray and be with one another. And uh, life groups have sort of officially restarted this week. They've been a lifeline during this season and it's not too late to join one if you'd still like to. But today we're going to look at getting stuck in, the importance of investing time and energy in serving others in order to help our church family gather in person again. As you know, we're in a transition phase. We've currently got car park services and we're meeting online But we are looking forward to gathering together inside our building just as soon as we can. We really hope that that will be after restrictions lift at the end of June. It's still unclear at this stage whether churches will be permitted to meet without face masks or sing together inside. But we are planning and hoping that that's going to be allowed. And our ambition is to hold morning services in the building again with activities for young people. And our ambition is to do that in July. That isn't a guarantee, but it's our hope, something that we're working towards. And in order for that to happen, as I explained recently, not only do restrictions need to lift, but we are going to need a whole bunch of people to get stuck in and join teams. And honestly, in order to prepare and rebuild and get ready for that in July, we're going to need people to make the decision now that they're ready and willing to step up to give time and energy to serve in order to help make that all happen in the summer. Before lockdown, when we were meeting in the building on a Sunday morning, we had groups for children and youth. We had teams for worship, sound and media, we had car park hosts and stewards, we had catering and hospitality, we had welcome teams, we even had a bacon team. (laughs) It usually took about 30 people to run each Sunday service and if you multiply that up over a month then we regularly had over 120 people serving regularly to make church happen and over the next couple of months we are rebuilding those teams and we really do need loads of people to get involved. If you've been part of one of our Sunday teams before, then we'd love you to consider joining again. If you haven't, perhaps because you're new around here, then we would love to help you find your place to to serve. We have always aimed to be the kind of church where everyone puts their shoulder to the plough and gets stuck in to make things happen. A little bit later, I'll explain how that's going to work practically in this season. But first, I want to look at why we place such an emphasis on serving others in this church. Because giving your time and energy for the good of someone else is not just down to convenience or goodwill. We don't just do it to feel good about ourselves, it goes much deeper than that. Serving others is a lifestyle which all Jesus followers are called to and one where he completely led by example. We're going to look at a couple of passages today and the first one is in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is responding to an argument among his disciples about who was going to get to sit next to him in his heavenly kingdom. I mean, it sounds ridiculous now. But with hindsight, it really caused a bit of a squabble. But Jesus used the opportunity to teach them something really radical about what it is to actually exercise power. You see, in Jesus' world, rulers and leaders were really full on in the way they demonstrated their authority. They were brutal. They lorded it over their subjects. And the disciples were perhaps imagining a hierarchy where they might gain some sort of status by being near Jesus as he sat in power on his glorious heavenly throne. But Jesus has an alternative way of looking at the world, where ideas of power are overturned. Jesus says, whoever would be great among you must be a servant. I came not to to be served, but to serve. And Jesus demonstrated this in the way he did life, in his actions, and how he served people. I mean, all the time he was doing it, but famously, there was the occasion when he served the disciples by literally getting down on his hands and knees and taking on the most menial task of washing their feet. Jesus' ultimate act of power was to give his life as a ransom for many, to die the most cruel and humble death, and through it all to change the world. And The disciples didn't really understand this at the time. They still thought that with his popularity among the crowds and his track record of miracles, Jesus would lead a revolution, taking on and overthrowing Jerusalem's occupying authorities. But they had misunderstood, and it was only after all the events that took place that the disciples looked back and began to realise what Jesus had really meant when he'd said these things. Now Paul expands on this theme even more in the second passage we're going to read, which is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. It's quite a well-known passage and it's sometimes called the Hymn of Christ. It's sort of written like a poem or a hymn. Let's have a look at it together and I've written this translation of it out like a poem or a hymn. It says this, This is how you should think among yourselves. With the, mind that you have, with the mind that you have, because you belong to the Messiah Jesus, who, though in God's form, did not regard his equality with God as something he ought to exploit. Instead, he emptied himself and received the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of humans. And then, having human appearance, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. Yes, even the death of the cross. And so God has greatly exalted him, and to him in his favour has given the name which is above, over all names, that now at the name of Jesus every knee under heaven shall bow, on earth too, and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Messiah is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul wrote this poem, or he quoted it, we're not sure which, but he did it to challenge and encourage the Philippian church to really think about what it was to put other people's interests before their own. And here he is citing Jesus as his ultimate example. And like Jesus, Paul is being incredibly countercultural. He's writing within a Roman world where the emperor was thought of as a god. In this culture, the power of military might, the immense organizational skills required to hold the, hold the empire together, was seen as the height of leadership. Training armies, winning battles, conquering lands, and extending your territory and presiding over it were the marks of ultimate power. And so here Paul is writing this deeply subversive, deeply countercultural gospel message in a poem about Jesus of Nazareth who was undoubtedly God the Lord and Israel's promised Messiah, but who achieved that position not by wielding immense military might and throwing his power around, but quite the opposite, by deliberately taking on the nature of a servant and humbling himself to the extent that he was prepared to die for the salvation of the world. For those who'd like to dig a little deeper, there's been a lot of theological discussion around this particular phrase in verse 7, the phrase, he emptied himself. Some have tried to argue that it means he literally divested himself of his divine authority. In other words, he stopped being God. But that just doesn't work because not being fully God, Jesus' death would have much less significance, if any. The church discussed this for the first 300 years of their life until concluding in 325 at the Council of Nicaea that Jesus was indeed both fully man and fully God. And so the emptying of himself described here suggests that what he did was to voluntarily choose to give up the status and privilege that was his in heaven and humble himself and come to earth and live as a human, voluntarily. He chose deliberately not to act according to his divine nature and instead to take on this form of a servant. And that humble act of service changed everything. It rewrote history. It made a way for salvation. It enabled all people to be reconciled to God. Incredible. I mean, it's a game changer. And Paul writes that as a result, God then raised Jesus up to his heavenly status and looks forward to a day when the whole world will recognise that and bow in worship before him. There's a lot in that passage, but I hope you can see that in Jesus, we here have an incredible example of a human life lived on behalf of others, a life of service and sacrifice, of partnering with God to bring about his kingdom of putting the self to death. Jesus modelled this and he called his followers to do the same. He said in Luke 9, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And he then continued with, Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see, in God's world, you win at life by putting yourself to death. That can be hard and it can be costly. It's a huge challenge and not everyone can go through with it, but it is so, so worth it. It's not always easy to see, but the long-term benefits far outweigh the costs. And this principle applies to many areas of life, some of which we're going to unpack in our next series, which is called Follow Me, and it's going to be based around exploring the commands of Jesus. But today, I just want to unashamedly apply this to specifically how we do church in this next season post-lockdown. Now, I don't want you to hear any of this as me arm-twisting, hyping or pressurising anyone to do anything. I'm aware that a talk like this could come over in that way and that's not my intention at all. But we as a church do have a significant need in this season. So I do want to talk a little bit about why it is that we in Winchester Vineyard Church rely so heavily on volunteer teams to make church happen. I've already mentioned how normally we'd have up to about 30 people involved in making church work on any normal Sunday. There are other ways to run worship services. In some churches, the services are just run by professional paid staff or specially recruited interns. The quality stays really high, but very few others really get to take part. In some churches, the volunteer team is small and basically the same few people serving week after week after week without any break. And usually that gradually just leads to burnout. In some churches, there isn't much of a team at all. And so the service is very basic. The refreshments are very basic, perhaps few musicians and hardly any children's ministry. There's nothing wrong with any of those. It's just not what we feel that God has called us to do. In this church, we've always tried to be a place where everyone gets to play, both in terms of ministry of the Spirit and in terms of the volunteer teams we need to help make things run well on a Sunday. If you've joined the church recently, especially during lockdown, then this may be new to you. If you've been part of the church for a long time, you've probably heard us talk about this before, but it's a good reminder. You see, in our church, we don't have any kind of formal membership. We don't make you sign on a dotted line. We have something which we call functional membership. Anyone who considers themselves as a member of this church, we invite you. No, we actively encourage you to function as a member. And you do that by doing these five things. One is to worship with us at a Sunday service. Obviously, that's been virtual and online in the last year. Another is to join a life group and make some friends. The third is to become a host by joining a team. We also invite you to buy into the vision by giving financially and by gift aiding if you pay tax. And lastly, we invite you to invite others to experience Jesus' love and power through one thing or other that we do. Now, most of those are pretty self explanatory. But today I want to focus on number three, the one that says become a host by joining a team. And I want to ask you a question. Think back to when you first came to Winchester Vineyard Church, whether it was in person or whether it was online, what was your experience like? I really hope that you encountered people who were friendly and open and who made you feel welcome because we really, really do aim to make all guests feel at ease from the moment that they drive into the car park or even click on a link to get in we're mindful that if you haven't been to church before it can be a really big deal especially if you don't know people or perhaps you're exploring the Christian faith and just aren't sure what to expect. For some of us it's just a massive step to go and visit a church that we haven't been to before. There was a friend of ours who really wanted to explore what Jesus was doing in her life but she felt very nervous about going into any church and eventually she came to a service here and she was chatting away and eventually made it to an alpha course and then made a decision to give her yes to Jesus. And she moved away a little while ago, but as far as I know, she's going on with God. But once we got to know her a bit, she did sort of um, kind of candidly admit to us that she'd been stalking us as a church online for about a year before she'd even come and set foot in the building. She'd been looking at the church website, she'd been following us on Facebook and social media, trying to decide what we were like and if she would be made to feel welcome. She had wondered if the circumstances of her life might mean that she was judged or didn't fit in when she came here but obviously something about what she saw convinced her to take that step and um, she, she was able to come and feel very welcomed and in lockdown I know that many people have taken the opportunity to watch our service from the comfort of your own home so that you can decide if you think this is the kind of place you want to fit into without having to jump over that hurdle of coming somewhere for the first time, which might make some people really nervous. And by the way, if that is you, if you are watching now and uh, you haven't sort of put your head above the parapet or said hello, can I just say you are so welcome and we would love to meet you in person at some point. Maybe put a note in the chat and just say hi, or even come down to one of our in-person services if you can. But even after watching online or stalking our social media, eventually most people will take the step of coming for the first time like our friend did. And it's then that we really want them to encounter our friendly welcome. And I like to think that we are the friendliest and most welcoming church on the planet. That may or may not be true, but I like to think that. Um, When I was a kid, we used to do dinghy sailing with my parents up in Leeds. We were never part of a sailing club or anything, but my dad kind of got an old dinghy, an old mirror dinghy for those who like sailing. And he rebuilt it and he, we used it for sort of family days out and, and adventures and things. Um, he taught us how to sail the boat and how to read the wind and how to go as fast as possible. Um, it's not very fast in a boat like that. It's not really built for racing, but it was just really good fun messing about on the water. And we had life jackets for safety. We didn't have loads of fancy gear. We didn't have wetsuits. We just had some old shorts and trainers that didn't matter if they got wet. And so when, as an adult, many years later, I was invited to go with a friend along to a reservoir in Birmingham to do a bit of sailing. So I just showed up in my old shorts and my old trainers because I I, I knew what I was doing. I knew how to rig the boat and sail it. But I remember that some of the members of that sailing club looked at me as if I was from another planet. I didn't have a wetsuit. I didn't have the right gear. I didn't talk right. Frankly, I didn't really fit in. But what was worse was that they responded to me in a way that just made me feel even more out of place. They, they could have said welcome. They could have asked me about my experience. They could have identified that we had a shared passion for getting out on the water and enjoying wind power. But instead, they made me feel like a real outsider to their club. They basically ignored me. They kind of talked over me, made in jokes. I never really went back, well I never went back. And it was a massive eye-opener because I felt so uncomfortable. And it kind of made me think, oh mash, oh my gosh, You know, perhaps this is how some people must feel when they go to church. I wonder if you've ever had a similar experience, maybe in church or in anywhere really, of just being made to feel on the outside of something. I mean, it's horrible. It makes you just feel like some sort of total loser. And I hate the idea that a new person might come to our church for the first time, feeling a bit nervous and unsure. And then when they got here, nobody really took the time to help them settle in, to help them find a coffee or say hi or show them where they, could get their, where they should take their kids or find a seat or meet the welcome team. Or Can you imagine taking the step of coming to a place like this, looking for an encounter with Jesus, even if you didn't use those words, and then being ignored by his people? When I meet new people in the church, I often check. I say, did, did, you have a, any, did you have a friendly welcome when you came here? Were you made to feel at home when you first came through the door? I'd love to hear the honest truth. Because that welcome is one of the most important things about what we do in, in terms of the way that we do church and how and why we do it. And that's not just because we're trying to be better than the other churches around here, although we are. <laughs> Only joking, we're really not. Um, but really because it simply reflects the welcome. God has given to us and continues to give us every time we come close to him and if someone's on a journey and they're wanting to encounter Jesus for themselves then we don't want to put barriers in the way of that now if you've come here as a guest and you've experienced a really positive and friendly welcome and you've decided to stick around and make this your church well that's wonderful and part of functioning as a member here is as I said to be one of the people who is then extending that welcome to others And the way we describe that is that you move from being a guest to being a host. If you're a guest, you are more than welcome. Drink our coffee, sit in the service, enjoy our hospitality. If you need time to figure out whether this is your church, whether it's really home for you, take your time, stay as our guest for as long as you need. If you need space to recover or you'd like some special help, we'd be more than willing to try and help you and sort that out. But if you've decided that this is your church then you aren't a guest anymore. You are one of the family now. And as such, you should now become a host. And it's not a huge jump from guest to host. It just takes a step of commitment. The problem comes when we don't make that step. So if we're no longer a guest, we've decided to stick around, but we also haven't made the step of becoming a host. We find ourselves in the middle ground which, I'm sorry to use the word, there really isn't another way to describe it, but if you're neither a guest nor a host, then what we are is a consumer. We're taking in what's on offer, but not looking to contribute or grow in any way, which is a great shame and a real wasted opportunity. Because joining a church, you become part of the body. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. There are many parts and they're all important and they all need each other. And in our church, everyone has something to contribute. We have different skills, gifts and abilities and passions. And there is space to get stuck in and make a difference, whoever you are. And if you're here and you've decided that this is your church, then we would love you to play your part here and get stuck in. In our family at home, everyone has to contribute. Sure, Joe and I would tend to take a lead on things. But if you're part of our household then you're expected to make a contribution. Ben knows this because he's, he's living with us at the minute and um, he gets to cook for us once a week and he's, he's learning new recipes and having a great time and we're really enjoying his cooking as well. Anyway, everyone gets stuck in. When there are chores to do, everyone's part of doing the, the chores. And everyone's also part of extending a welcome to others who might come in and have dinner with us or whatever, you don't just get to be a consumer in our family. Okay, maybe for a season if you need some special help or attention, but in the longer term, if you're part of the family, You get the benefits and the responsibilities and you get to play a full and active role. And it's the same with the church and right now we're in a season where we need all of us to play our part. It might be that you get to bring your special skills to the table or it might be that you just need to come and do one of the jobs that just need doing. So what is it that we need right now? We are currently looking for people to join one of five teams that we're getting up and running. The first one is the welcome team. It's very very straightforward. You just, you just have to be friendly and smile and greet people and welcome. The next one is the kids team. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, we do need people to make our kids groups the friendliest, funnest, safest places where they can reconnect with one another and connect with God. We also need people on our youth team. Our young people need encouragers and champions and role models, preferably who aren't their own parents. People who will faithfully get to know them, pray for them, And encourage them on Friday evenings or through their online small groups or Sunday mornings. We also need people for our sound and media team. People to help run the tech and make sure that everyone else can see and hear what's going on. Both in the room and on screen. And we also need worship people. There are opportunities to get involved in the worship community of our church. Do you play an instrument? Do you sing? Are you a worshipper? We'd love to talk about an audition. You can sign up for any of these roles through the form that's on our website. And I would love to encourage you to do that. Now I'm just going to be real for a moment. As I said, we'd love to bring our Sunday gatherings into the venue as soon as possible. And we are aiming for July, but we won't be able to do it until we've gathered the people for these teams. If we don't have the teams, we won't be able to run the services, even if the government allows us to. We don't need 120 people to get started, but we need more than we've got now, significantly more. And as I said at the start, if God is calling you to be involved, then we would really love you to sign up now. Not in two months' time. Especially for kids and youth teams, because we need to complete our safeguarding checks, all part of the process. Actually, if calling is too strong a word, even if the Lord is just nudging you to think about this, please would you take a step today and speak to somebody. Or just give us your details and we'll follow up with the conversation. We won't sign you up straight away. We're not here to put pressure on any individual. But I really do want to encourage all of us to take this seriously, to pray and ask God how we can best contribute to the body in this unlocking season. And if you're watching online from a distant location that's a long way away from Winchester, maybe you're thinking, well, I can't really get involved in in in-person church. Well, online church is here to stay and we need online welcome teams and there are other ways that you can contribute virtually. So if you want to be part of the family, we will find a way for you to engage and get stuck in. Just let us know. And lastly, I just want to allay some fears that some people might have about signing up to be on a team in our church. You might be worried that by filling out a form, you're going to get landed with a really difficult job that you just don't feel confident in. Well, firstly, you can always try something out before committing. Give it a try. See how it goes. If it's not for you, we'll help you swap to another team. And if needed, we'll train you until you're confident. Perhaps you think that you'll be on your own. You'll be missing out on the service in some way. Well, that's why we do this in teams. It's just much more fun and a brilliant way to get to know people. And by the way, serving people the way Jesus did, that is worship. You're not missing out on the service. You are the service. Maybe you think that once you've said yes, you'll be expected to serve every single week and you'll never get a break. Well, we usually operate our teams on a once a month basis. Some people take two different roles on different weeks, but we really don't advocate anybody serving more than one or two weeks in a month. And lastly, perhaps you think that once in, you'll never be able to leave, or not without being made to feel really guilty anyway. Well, we plan our rotors for six months at a time. So that's the commitment we're asking for. There's always an opportunity to review or change after six months or stop. Just think about it this way. If you serve during a Sunday service once a month, that's probably a couple of hours on a Sunday. Worst case, two and a half hours. And if you did that for six months, that's a 15-hour commitment over half of a year. I mean, what's 15 hours? It's a decent Netflix series, it's two decent nights sleep or two working days in six months. It's actually not that much of a time to commit. We're investing in the body of Christ here at Winchester Vineyard. We're helping to make this church the most welcoming, friendly, and safe space for people from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of ages and stages to come and encounter the living God. And we would love you to be part of that. Why don't I pray for us? Father, thank you. Thank you that we could never outgive you and we could never outserve you. Thank you that in you we see an example of somebody who was prepared to lay down his life for others, for us. Lord, as we try and copy and emulate that example, be with us, help us and show us what it is that we need to do in this season to respond to the call. Lord, for those of us who are part of this church, would you show us how it is that you want us to get involved? How it is that you want us to help in this season? Which team you would like us to join? Father, give us the courage, uh, the bravery to step up and do what you're calling us to do. And Father, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your faithfulness for us through lockdown. Thank you that you know our hearts and that you have a place for each of us. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're talking to us this morning. We bless you in Jesus' name.